on boom live oh hello 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 ladies and gentlemen boys and girls welcome to another episode of vux world i'm your host kane sims uh, and i'm absolutely delighted today to be joined by shrida mari who's the ceo and co-founder of senseforth making moves welcome shrida hi kane thank you for having me no worries thank you for joining us uh, yeah, tuning in from India, half past five over there now, which is weird because a lot of the time zones tend to be chunked up into hours. And when we were arranging this, it was like, that's half past five. I was thinking, is it half past five? Do we do half hours? I was a bit caught off guard there. 530. <laughs> 530. Yes. There you go. Yeah, that's it. Nice. Uh, and so, yeah, definitely interested in getting into this conversation. And we will get into that in just one second. But for those of you tuning in, whether you're tuning in live, whether you're tuning in on the podcast, you have to get yourself to VUX at Voice 22, the Voice Summit in Arlington, Virginia on October the 11th. VUX World, well, the, the summit is from the 10th to the 12th, but on the 11th, VUX World has our own stage, our own room. We're running the programming. And if you want to learn all about contact center, automation then you need to get yourself there it is an opportunity to learn and network with the industry and meet clients meet buyers meet technology providers learn how it's actually done uh, and we've got a whole host of interesting conversations lined up and a bunch of interesting content a bunch of networking events that's going on as well so you need to go to voice summit.ai forward slash vux dash world or just voice summit.ai uh, and find out more about that if you want to save 20 percent on your tickets you can use the promo code vux20 and we were just saying before we uh, before we started this that getting back in person and being in person with actual people, not people that are flat with monitor outlines around their heads, is absolutely fantastic. And so I hope you can all join us in uh, in Arlington in uh, in a couple of weeks' time. And so on with the show, Shreda. Thank you again for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and how you got into or where did Senseforth come from. Awesome. Okay. Um, thank you so much, Kane. It's really a pleasure to be here. Um, in fact, I consider myself very fortunate to work at the intersection of design, technology, and business. And uh, you know, my even my education experience, uh, you know, my my life, and even you know, my ikigai is at the intersection of design, technology, and business. And um, you know, from the from childhood, uh, I think uh, one of my passions is to imagine solutions, new solutions for existing problems, and um, and then you know pro, you know sort of build solutions to those problems and then really make them work, and that's been a, a great passion, um, and uh, you know I really love what I'm doing, and you know this is this is the best it can get, uh, and and uh, you know there are about three kinds of CEOs in the world, the first kind are the creator kind of CEOs, creator builder CEOs who would probably conceptualize an idea, um, you know, get a team together, build a solution, take it out to the market, find the product market fit and, uh, and you know, probably achieve success, uh, you know, and then sort of scale the business to maybe one to two million dollar revenue. Right. And that's the first kind of CEO. And the second, second kind of CEO is uh, 
is you know, what I call the scale CEOs, and probably they will take that idea, that uh, you know, early solution, and scale it from one million or two million to twenty million, and that's the uh, that's the second kind of CEO, and the third kind of CEO is the growth CEO, and probably they will take the twenty million to two hundred million or whatever, right? So mm-hmm. uh, now I I'm at this inflection point of sort of moving from the creator builder CEO to uh, the scale CEO and and it is a, a steep rugged hill um, mm. and, and it's pretty hard and, and of course you know we're I'm try, trying to embrace that challenge and then transform myself into a scale CEO right now. Interesting so what is it that is so hard about being a scaling CEO is it because you need to find new markets or you know figure out how to find those cloud customers like what what is it particularly about the scaling part that is that's a challenge well i think it's a, it's a lot to do with the um with the orientation of yourself in the sense of um you know fundamentally you are um, at, at heart at the center of your being you are either one of these see different kinds of ceos and now mm. uh, and of course many people traverse this land of three different ceos and then really scale well and it requires um, learning different skills um, and you know uh, applying different uh, different lessons and so on. So that's the that's the hard part. And uh, and also uh, another key thing is the the team that is required uh, you know from let's say uh, uh, you know from stage one to stage two or stage three are completely different, and the challenges are different, and the business. Um, environment is different and that's the uh, that's what creates that steep rugged hill mm, mm, interesting and i suppose it gets uh steeper and more difficult when you're in such a i would say i suppose it's a competitive landscape it's also a very kind of buoyant landscape at the minute in this particular industry, natural language processing, voice AI, conversational AI, things like that. How would you describe the the kind of global market for these services at the moment and, and how does that compare to when you started five years ago or so? Well, I think uh, this is obviously a nascent uh, arena, uh, if you will. And, uh, you know, every day things are, new things are happening and, you know, it's, it's constantly transforming. Um, and that's a big challenge itself. And uh, when we started out, uh, we were probably one of the very early players in conversational AI uh, in India, trying to build uh, an, a proprietary natural language processing engine and uh, and then try and use that to solve business problems. We've tried several use cases. In fact, we failed in many use cases and then uh, and then found our um, in our sweet sweet spot. Um, and that's uh, and that was great. Now, I think the uh, fundamental to uh, voice AI or even, you know, AI, conversational AI using only text uh, is the natural language processing engine, right? So, you know, that's where the intelligence is and, you know, understanding the intent and um, figuring out uh, figuring out a response uh, or an action and stuff like that, right? Now, um, so early on when we started out, we started working with text and understanding uh, a user intent expressed in textual form and then taking an action based on that. And later, uh, it's a natural extension to go into voice and uh, and deliver the same thing. Of course, the nuances are different, the challenges are different, and uh, uh, and that's how uh, this has been progressing. 
Mm. <clears throat> it's interesting when often companies go from text to voice because they often think that, not necessarily from a platform perspective, maybe you can shed some light on, on maybe some of this stuff, but quite often when a, when a company that's been building conversational AI applications and they go from a chat interface to a voice interface, the kind of less mature organizations would believe that it's as simple as just finding some speech recognition and putting that on the front end. But actually, the way that people speak is entirely different to how they type. Semantically, it's completely different. You've got accents to deal with. You've got languages to deal with. You've got a whole range of different stuff. Then you've got the data that's available in somebody's voice. You know, you've got their sentiment. You've got their mood. You can identify things like gender. You can profile things like personality types. You can do voice biometric authentication. The possibilities kind of open up. And so, and even just from a design point of view, it's not the same as a chat interface necessarily i'm wondering what your thoughts are on that and especially coming from a platform perspective where you've now got to consider voice and bringing voice into your nlp kind of stable what are the kind of challenges in trying to do that there's several right for example um understanding text is uh, is a different challenge from understanding voice um you know let me just give you an example in fact uh, early on when alexa was released uh, I bought one of those devices and uh, you know put it in my home on the dining table, and I just wanted to see how uh, how you know, people would interact even in my own home, right? Um, so now, uh, so I think the the uh, the premise of most of the voice interfaces even today is that conversation is a sequential one-on-one -on -one, uh, interaction. Uh, and, and that, I think, is a misnomer because what happened at our dining table is that, you know, my, somebody was saying, um, Alexa, please uh, play some jazz. And somebody's saying no. And somebody's saying, OK, you know, eat your vegetables. Uh, you know, it's, it's good for your health. Uh, and Alexa is saying, I didn't understand any of this. Right. <laughs> so the, the whole um, the, the, you know, home environment is is like a multi activity, multi-party environment. So uh, how does voice interfaces work in that scenario um, is uh, something that's not even, you know, cracked at all, right? Um, I think that's, I think that's where the home usage uh, really is is super complex because of the multi-activity environment, and I think uh, and and voice AI is you know still long way to go there to sort of start tackling those issues, but at the same time um, there are there are things like you know, some of them you've sort of uh, touched upon um, the. Uh, prosody, for example, or, or, or interjections. We use a lot of interjections when we're speaking. And, uh, and that is, um, I would say, mm, uh, uh, and, and those, are, those are sort of hesitating kind of interjections or, uh, or some, some things could be emotive in the sense of, you know, I would say, ouch, or, um, you know, um, great, or, or wow, something like that. So these are, these are uh, some of those interjections they happen all the time and technology, I think, is still not there to sort of handle all those kind of interjections or even prosody, which is uh, intonation, pitch and, you know, uh, all that, uh, the variation in the pitch. Now, so I think these are some of the steep challenges that technology overall needs to still uh, tackle uh, as we go along. Um, right now, I think it's about, uh, you know, it's about understanding the user intent, you know, providing a response at that point of time. Now, um, you know, of course, people are, you know, 
trying Bargin and uh, and all, all those technologies. And, and I think the voice is a very unique kind of experience. And I think probably that's the only experience where people can um, sort of uh, interject each other, barge in, uh, you know, break the sentence. You can stop, you know, in the middle of the sentence, repeat it, all kinds of things. So it's a it's a beautiful and it's a fluid, very human medium, and uh, and and that's that's what is fascinating about it. Mm, it's very messy, though, isn't it? It's a, it is <laughs> highly nuanced and messy. Yeah, it's crazy. It, it, to be honest, it's actually amazing when you think of what we can actually do today anyway. You know, you mentioned that example there of being around a smart speaker and having a, the background noise going on and stuff like that. And I actually think there has been some improvements to that because one thing I can I can attest to is that, to be honest, the the Amazon devices that we have downstairs, we've got the Echo Shows, and my son uses it pretty much every morning to watch his programs on TV when he's having his breakfast. And he got to the point yesterday for the very first time, he said it a lot when he was a baby and stuff like that, and he said it a few times, but he's never really actually had Alexa do something for him. But this morning, literally this morning, as luck would have it, I heard him say, Alexa, play Lego City on Prime. And lo and behold, Lego City played. And I thought, you know, I got a little kind of proud moment there because I thought he's figured out how to use it himself there. Um, but when I've kind of spoken to it, and I'll say something similar, and he's always talking in the background all the time. He'll say something, he'll comment on something, and I'll say something to Alexa. And then I'll wait. Obviously, Alexa will keep the mic open, and he's talking, and it'll pick him up. But... Yeah it kind of still recognizes my kind of intent. And I, I'm pretty sure when I first got an Amazon device, probably 2016, 2017, it didn't, never used to do that. I used to just trip out. So th there's definitely like progress being made, would you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's a, there's a daily progress uh, in, in these technologies. So that's, uh, uh, that's definitely is, uh, you know, we can, we can see it in a, you know, we can cognize it. Yeah. So that's there, but um, yeah, again, you know, the fundamental, the messy parts of uh, human conversation are still uh, far for, from being actually, you know, automated. Uh, mm. That is, uh, that is still, uh, you know, that's still, you know, uh, some years away in my view. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so you mentioned there with SenseForth, you began uh, trying to create some natural language processing engine that would be able to solve business problems. What kind of business problems were you intending to solve when you were, when you were first getting started? Well, I think, uh, I think let me tell you a little bit about our origin uh, in a story. Uh, throughout the 80s and 90s, and software was becoming extremely complex, right? And, you know, large teams of people were using software that is, uh, you know, ex super complicated and also sometimes, uh, uh, sometimes messy and chaotic kind of interfaces. And uh, we wanted to actually, uh, you know, we were in the thick of that action uh, in a large SI, working in a large SI. And, uh, and we said, look, this is enough. And we need to, um, you know, we need to do something about it. How about uh, removing this interface altogether? And that means, that means you know, talking about uh, using natural language interfaces and, you know, whether it is text or voice, at that point of time, uh, you know, we said, okay, we'll first tackle with uh, tackle the text part of it and build a natural language processing engine, um, using which we could 
to an extent remove the uh, the messy, complicated, inefficient uh, user interfaces that were being built for for software for several decades, right? So that's where we started, and and uh, once we sort of cracked some parts of the technology uh, in NLP, and we started applying for some applying uh, the same technology in certain business cases, um, banking and uh, and insurance and uh, and a few other uh, domains, and uh, we found that. Um, you know, customer service is one area uh, where large enterprises were having a huge difficulty. There was, um, it was extremely difficult to scale, especially large enterprises. They had thousands of people in their call centers and, uh, and um, it is difficult to sort of hire them, train them, um, you know, keep them up to date. And, and there is a huge attrition in call centers and it is a highly repetitive and boring work. And it is uh, becoming more and more expensive as you sort of expand your customer base. And that is the situation. And that's when we said, OK, we will jump into this um, customer care as an area and then solve some problems for uh, large enterprises. So we started working with large large banks and large insurance companies uh, and, and built customer interaction um, use cases uh, and, and slowly made them uh, sticky with transactional capabilities. That means you can say, I want to transfer money um, to Kane tomorrow evening at, at 5.30, right? So uh, that is, uh, that's a natural language input. You don't really need to uh, log into your uh, internet banking website, uh, wade through the forms, um, fill out all the details and stuff like that. These are, there are multiple aspects of this intent which are you know, understood by our technology and uh, through integrations, deliver the response, deliver the action. So that's where we started. And that's the that's the beginning of SenseForth. Right. And it sounds as though you mentioned there doing transactional kind of use cases, which is good. And that's kind of the promise of this stuff. You mentioned that trying to get over some of the clunky interfaces with some of those systems and often it's disparate systems that are not really connected together that a lot of people have to kind of manage their way through and that's kind of the promise of this technology is is that interface layer i was excited to hear you say the interface because i think that's where a lot of the positive effects of this technology are it's becoming the interface to what was previously a load of clunky kind of mess basically um and i think that there's only even now there's teams who don't do transactional use cases and they're kind of trying to get there in part because of a, a, a lack of that infrastructure behind the scenes, but also in part whether it's risk, whether it's experience, whether it's not having the, the technology capabilities and stuff like that. So it's interesting because for me, it's always been obvious that it should all be about those transactional use cases because that's where the value is for the business. Yet in the market generally, not everyone's really trying to attack transactional use cases, which is interesting because i would have thought that that's where people would be starting i don't know what your experience is between the number of use cases that you're observing which are more transactional and really like core business value based versus you know the light light touch kind of faq question and answer content based experiences i think um, in our experience uh, we've realized that the enterprises have given up on the faq kind of uh, you know conversational interfaces 
they don't see great value in that. Uh, in fact, they see great value in transactional interfaces, transactional conversational interfaces, right? Whether it is, you know, download, because people are coming with a problem and they want to download their policy statement or, you know, they want to book an appointment or they want to meet someone or they want to, you know, uh, know their account balance or they want to know when are they supposed to pay their credit card due, right? So all those things are actual, um, actual uh, real um, challenges that the customer is facing. And, uh, and for all of them today, they would have to either talk to an agent on the, in the call center or log into a website uh, and then sort of, sort of figure it out themselves. Now, uh, both can be avoided. And, and that's why, in fact, when we um, launched uh, transactional AI in some of the enterprises and the usage just, uh, you know, jumped through the sky. In fact, it was a, you know, we've seen a adoption, uh, like a hockey stick adoption at that point of time. That wow. was you know, very, very surprising too for us. Mm, that's good. But I suppose it's, it rings true because that's where the main value is, isn't it? If you can, if you can lighten the load of the, the kind of like the things that turn the wheels of the business, which yeah. is transactions and services, if you can lighten that load, you can impact the business. A chatbot that does content kind of can impact the website, maybe. It doesn't really necessarily impact the business a whole lot. Whereas if you can root it in these transactional instances, then you add in real value that's unquestionable you know yeah, um absolutely. Absolutely. so so where did where did the where did the so you, you've built the nlp engine you're starting to do work with some large organizations you're doing a lot of transactional use cases where did the voice component come from then where was the first time that you thought hang on we need we need to add voice to this equation it's a natural extension um because uh the enterprises that we worked with this they tasted blood, right? And they've seen um, there's automation possible in um, in an area which is hitherto considered, you know, not automatable, right? Which is customer interactions at scale, right? And that is uh, that's uh, when they saw that you know automation is possible even in that area. Then the natural uh, natural progression is to. Uh, see if you know can you actually take the load off the call center by taking some of the uh, or deflecting some of the uh, queries that are coming to the human agents to you know automated voice ai right so that is the that is you know we we realized it and you know we felt it is it is a natural extension and the enterprises were asking for it and i think there is a a, a nice uh, uh, wedlock there and that's how uh, we began but even otherwise you know uh, when we started out uh, since forth uh, our vision was to make technology human-like in the sense, remove the barriers between people and technology and make it more accessible, more enjoyable, more, uh, more easy to use, right? Uh, so that was the dream. And, uh, and in, in my view, personally, I think conversational AI is going to eat the world, right? Uh, to paraphrase Andreessen. Now, um, so uh, the, the reason I think it is so important for the world is everything is going to change uh, in the world with conversational AI. It's going to impact everything, uh, not just some enterprise use cases or a customer support use cases. Um, around the world, I think the 
you know, if you, you know, at home, you know, your appliances will become conversational, your homes will become conversational. You can probably, uh, you know, um, uh, dock a ship at the port uh, using conversational AI or fly a plane. Um, anyway, you can, you know, easily pretty much drive the cars with automation AI, uh, with conversational AI automation. And, um, and so these are, these are incredible use cases, right? So everything around the world uh, is going to change uh, with conversational AI. And I think uh, we are enter entering this new world of uh, what I call neo-paganism, right? Um, so in the old ancient world, um, people used to sort of talk to the stone, the river, the tree, everything, thinking that they're um, probably infused with life and they, they, they could they could converse with them. And now the neo-paganism is, I think we can embed, um, you know, pretty much every inanimate object or, or a device or anything in the world with conversational AI and, uh, and, and converse with them. Imagine, let's say your, your, your air conditioner, uh, you know, finding um, and, and probably telling you, saying that, look, there is a fault with the cooling fan inside. Can you just uh, call the service or can I just call the service guy uh, this weekend? You know, uh, it's, it's not only just interacting with it to saying, you know, switch it on and off, but uh, the, you know, the air conditioner becoming proactive and trying to call the service agent on this weekend. Mm. It's, it's, yeah, that, that's definitely, I concur with that 100%. I think that <clears throat> I was thinking, of, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. We were doing a piece at the moment, which is around trying to define conversational AI. It's a hugely broad area. And I posted something on LinkedIn the other week, which was asking people, how do you define it? And the responses I got was was absolutely crazy. <clears throat> Some people were saying things around like it's it's a natural language interface that, ha that has natural language as an input and natural language as an output. And that's not quite accurate because... Amazon Alexa, you can tap it, you can swipe it. You know, other interfaces have multimodal inputs and then the output doesn't always have to be conversational. Like you could say to that air conditioning unit, hey, what the, what's the problem? Can you contact the salespeople? And then I just, it might just trigger off a contact, raising a support ticket to the salespeople. It doesn't have to converse in language. Like you could tell Alexa to put your heating on. It would just put your heating on. It doesn't have to confirm it with language. You can just play a sound, which is like bing or like an accurate kind of like done sound. <clears throat> and so as I've been thinking more about this, thinking more about like, and this is what we've been talking about for a long time on the podcast, but it's like fundamentally, whether it's human to business or human to object, as you've said, all we're trying to do is communicate, aren't we? If I want to turn on my heating, I need to communicate something. Me as a body needs to communicate something to my heating system. And an efficient way to do that is to have a conversational interface. If I want to communicate with a business, every single option I have today for any business anywhere in the world is likely a conversational channel. The only defense to that would be, or the rebuttal to that would be, websites and apps aren't always conversational. But websites and apps are still fundamentally a communication of information between two things me expressing what I want and the website giving me what I need. And so fundamentally, everything that is an exchange of information, I think, would be arguably better served with a conversational interface, which concurs with what you've just said, because almost everything <laughs> could potentially benefit from a conversational interface. Cars, hoovers, you know, every device that you use, every business channel, it's uh, endless. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I think the future um, conversational AI 
combined with gesture interfaces is going to be even more powerful right so you know you're not always using only you know language but also just like we use our you know body language and gestures to communicate things uh, i think that would be a phenomenal uh, world mm definitely nvidia's got some really good stuff on that front i don't know if you've seen some of their kind of like gesture control and you got to yeah. look at look at the camera it wakes up the assistant um mycroft i think i've been doing some stuff with that for a while have you kind of explored any of that kind of gesture based or multimodal not, not kind yet. of stuff not yet yeah it's interesting it's definitely yeah. interesting um so going back to the story around voice then so you you began exploring voice you began um experiencing some success there it sounds like it was predominantly in like in the contact center environment was it because you were focused on customer service use cases did you say yeah 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 and of course yeah from there on we moved on to customer acquisition use cases customer engagement use cases pretty much touching the lives of a customer across the um across the life cycle right interesting and so the voice capabilities now you've also been working with you know some voice intelligence use cases and things like that like what what where did that kind of voice intelligence stuff come from well you know the way i would define voice intelligence is essentially there are three parts one is uh, asr that's your uh, you know speech recognition engine and you have the nlp engine which is uh, where understanding the intent and what's going on uh, and the third part is the ml which is you know sort of sort of fusing back the learnings uh, and and uh, and modeling that right so that is the that's how i would you know, sort of you know piece this technology together as voice intelligence and of course there are you know multiple use cases which are um, going beyond general digital voice conversations to uh, you know call center analytics both real time and um, and um, you know otherwise uh, the recorded versions of it um, and the real time would be a great use case in the sense that as your as the agent is speaking with uh, speaking with a customer the real time um, you know call analytics engine could just pop up and say look you know uh, maybe you need to use a different voice or or a different tone or maybe this is, or, and also this is the solution for this problem and you know it's like a truly agent assist would be that mm. right uh, in real time telling the agent to sort of uh, change uh, change the way he's communicating or the information that he's communicating um, and so on mm. there's been some some good examples of agent assists um that i've seen but i've also seen some unheard i won't mention the companies but heard some pretty catastrophic examples of people who've tried to do it because it's not always as simple as it sounds i'm wondering whether have you have you been kind of exploring those use cases have you got any insight into what some of the challenges are and around those around implementing that kind of stuff there are in fact uh, we've we've not implemented the real time uh you know uh, use cases but we have uh, done some use cases where uh, you know there are millions of uh, millions of call um, you know millions of minutes of uh, you know call center data that's available now the enterprise doesn't know what's going on or you know uh, you know so you know can you read through all these or listen listen through all these millions of conversations that are happening between customers and uh, agents and figure out um, you know the nuggets of uh, uh, insights right and maybe there there are some products that 
people are unhappy with. Maybe they are, um, they, maybe they want to buy uh, a specific kind of a product, uh, or maybe they are ch facing challenges with some some products or services. So all those uh, insights, uh, you know, can be uh, unearthed through these uh, through these millions of past data. Uh, and, you know, in fact, you can sort of make it available in a dashboard format for enterprises to take action, which is systemic. Mm, absolutely. It's, um, it's interesting because a lot of, that, that's why I, I try and advise people to begin in terms of their strategy for automation. Look at your calls, look at your conversations that you're already having, ingest that data, analyze it, and then it'll give you a picture of, of what's kind of to be done. Um, easier said than done, because at that kind of scale, you know, it, it gets kind of challenging. Do you recommend kind of doing that kind of analysis on the whole, you know, millions? Or do you tend to think that it's good enough to take a sample, like a 20,000 sample set or something like that to get enough insight from? It depends on the use case. In fact, if you're just uh, setting up a new interaction agent or a virtual assistant for a set of customers, then I think a sample data would be okay. But um, but if you're, let's say, trying to figure out, um, you know, what's going on with customers, so what are the customer insights from the last month's uh, conversations, then I think the entire uh, month's conversations would become valuable. Mm, interesting. Interesting. And then in terms of your sort of approach, the SenseForth approach in general, is is it an approach whereby you have your technology available so that people can use it and utilize it how they so choose? Or is it more of a technology plus a kind of a, a service offering? Like is your technology so kind of, you know, either sophisticated or complex that it requires you and your team rather to, to work with it? Or is it available for kind of external people to use on their own, so to speak? We have we have both the models, you know, available uh, at Sensforth. Um, the reason is some of the enterprises they don't have the required skill sets to sort of you know build uh, solutions on our platform, right, uh, or any of the platforms, right. So and and that's not their um, that's not their uh, aim or objective, and they're they're doing a business, right. And uh, in those cases, they would want us to build using our platform um, and, and deliver uh, ready-to-use solutions. And, uh, and there are certain clients who would say, okay, give us the platform, you know, we will build a team around it and we will build ourselves. Both the models are, uh, I think any company in this space needs to offer both the models, especially because it's nascent and, you know, it's still evolving. Mm, yeah. And different companies have different philosophies, don't they? You know, some of them want to have control and have the team to, to kind of build it and manage it and others don't really see it as part of what they do and so if we're not a technology company we sell jeans and so someone else can kind of handle that kind of part you know yes interesting um how are your kind of what are your observations on the current kind of voice intelligence market so to speak so i think we're getting to a place where a lot of people are beginning, a lot of businesses are beginning to understand the value of conversational AI in a conversational setting, back and forth, kind of having conversations with customers. Um, the voice intelligence layer around analyzing conversations in real time, providing agent assist, providing post-call analysis and you know speaker diarization, or call summarization, that kind of stuff, it always seems to me to be kind of something that is 
obviously incredibly valuable, but not always something that people kind of know is possible. What are your thoughts in general about either the demand in the market or the knowledge or experience of, of the market as far as the voice intelligence piece is concerned? Well, I think there are certain use cases which are um, no-brainers in the sense, um, in the sense, let's say maps and navigation. I think the voice voice is you know clear winner, and there's no other interface, right? For example, you know you're driving and you know you, you know guiding you um, through the streets is uh, you know through a voice. I, I think that's well accepted use case. Another use case that I think is uh, emerging at this point of time uh, from a voice uh, perspective is uh, drive-through food ordering, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're actually ordering a burger and saying, okay, I want, I want uh, no tomatoes and no cheese, uh, a chicken burger, it's pretty, fairly simple, right? And then, you know, that is, uh, that is uh, you, don't, you don't really need humans to actually um, handle this kind of a request sitting at the counter and you know i'm sure it's extremely boring job Um, instead we can bring in voice interfaces there and understand that intent and deliver at the other counter right so that those are absolutely um you know uh, the use cases that are uh, that are emerging and uh, also of course uh, um you know the the you know the analysis use cases also exist um, but there are a whole bunch of new use cases that are, you know, that are, um, again, you know, happening as we speak, which are, you know, especially in debt collection, um, uh, reminders for payments, uh, appointment booking. These are some of the use cases that are uh, fast emerging uh, in the voice AI space. And, uh, but I think, I think there are much larger, much bigger use cases um, that that will come in the future, right? Uh, for example, um, for example, uh, voice in education, right? And in certain settings uh, where there is an acute shortage of teachers, um, you know, voice AI delivering, um, you know, education in classrooms or even online would be a great use case. Um, and uh, you know, of course, uh, even uh, sort of factory settings. Um, troubleshooting, you know, equipment, um, and without without actually going through a manual or a uh, uh, you know or a reading through a document, you know, you can have voice AI guiding the person right at the time of the job instantly and making sure that there are no mistakes made. I think that would be a great use case too, right? And uh, but as we speak, anyway, voice uh, voice search is. Uh, transforming search itself, and today, um, today I think there's about twenty odd percent of uh, you know uh, the mobile search is voice search, and uh, I think in the next uh, decade it'll be ninety percent. So these are, uh, and of course, voice commerce is another you know big uh, favorite of mine. Um, ordering products uh, uh, and services using voice commerce, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it's it's fascinating uh, uh, times we live in. It very much is. It very much is. And I think that some of this stuff, like, I always, I think I expect things to happen faster than they do, to be honest. Like a lot of those examples that you mentioned there, like the the helping workers out in the field, you know, I think Alan AI was doing that for a while. Rain Agency, which was like a marketing agency, then they got a bunch of funding from Black & Decker. Now they're working on a product to try and do that 
exact kind of thing. And the the drive through you mentioned, obviously we've had McDonald's with Apprenti acquisition, Huex we had on the podcast the other week. They're kind of trying to tackle that kind of thing. And so it's like a lot of these use cases that there is examples of it happening. But it, I always just expect, I think I've just got high expectations. I expect it to happen far quicker. Same thing with voice commerce. You know, I was expecting by now that I would be ordering, you know, all my weekly shopping on Alexa and I would be ordering all sorts of other stuff from Google. Yeah, I'm still kind of not quite there. And half of the issue with that, I wrote about this the other week, which is that the issue really isn't in understanding language. The issue is, isn't either in, um, well, yeah, it's not an understanding language or understanding the intent. The issue is in the fulfillment. So it requires businesses to to expose those services. And in some cases, in, in the case of like the, um, if you want to add voice commerce onto your app or something like that, it's not just exposing your backend services, it's also having the drive and motivation to implement the front end. And so... I wonder whether you have any thoughts on some of the adoption challenges that businesses are facing right now. What is it that perhaps these commerce use cases and these these kind of like uh, in the field use cases, is, is there a reason why you think that it's maybe perhaps not happening as fastly as it may have done? Or is this actually just part and parcel and this is how fast technology just rolls out and we, we just keep, keep being patient and keep trying to, keep trying to, trying to find those deals? As you said, it's not about technology. I think uh, for some of these use cases, the technology already exists. Um, I think it's all about um, enterprise, um, you know, uh, adoption. Um, I, I think if you if you look at enterprise voice as a space, right? I don't know, you know, if it is defined that way, but enterprise voice, I think, is a huge area, and um, I think um, enterprises, businesses will. Um, we'll have to have strategy around, you know, how to use voice and then expose, you know, it doesn't need to be uh, an Alexa skill. Nobody, I mean, there are already uh, probably, a, a, you know, 100,000 plus Alexa skills out there. But, you know, I, I don't see the adoption very high there. But I think if it is, um, if it is, uh, if it is driven by the enterprise as part of the enterprise voice uh, offering and, um, and, um, and expose those services and, you know, also uh, work out the fulfillment. Uh, and it needs to be strategically um, planned and, uh, and, and organized at the enterprise level. And that is what is missing. They've, uh, you know, they've not yet realized the full potential of voice. And obviously, because it's also at the, um, at the uh, you know, very early years of voice uh, evolution. Um, but I think that's where we are going. I think in the next uh, 10 years, enterprises will realize the value of uh, voice technology and how to use it, just like the way uh, they have realized how to use mobile uh, technology. Or, um, or right now, they're also trying to figure out how does it fit into their metaverse? How does metaverse fit into their strategy? How does, uh, let's say, social media uh, fits into their strategy? Uh, similarly, I think they need to figure out um, how does voice fits into their strategy and what are the, uh, what are the transformational um, uh, journeys that they need to undertake. Mm, yeah. The, on, the, on the subject of kind of value, a lot of the value that has been uh, seeked, is seek a word? Seeked? Sought? Sought, that's the word. 
a lot of the value that's been sought thus far is <laughs> has been, um, I suppose, a mixture of cost reductions, uh, especially in the instances that you mentioned earlier on, that where you started, which was around automating transactions. So you want to reduce the cost of delivering services, potentially reduce some of your overheads from a staffing point of view. I think in recent times, I've noticed a lot more enterprises implementing it to prevent further increased costs down the line. It's not that they want to get rid of contact center staff today. It's that they know their business is growing. They know customer expectations are rising. They don't necessarily want to employ another 200 next year. So they're trying to kind of, you know, implement this stuff in order to save recruiting later. And so I've noticed a little bit of a shift in uh, value, should we say, from businesses that are trying to apply this. What kind of value are you observing your clients seeking and, and do you think that will change in future as adoption grows? Actually, it's a great question. Um, yes, you're right. And, uh, you know, most of the enterprises started with uh, uh, cost reduction as the number one priority. And that's when they have embraced conversational AI, even with its, you know, uh, of, you know existing flaws. Right. Um, so because that's the cost reduction is their primary motive. And, you know, that I think is being delivered all right. Now, um, along the way, enterprises have started looking at revenue generation using conversational AI. And I think that is, uh, that's again a, a phenomenal value driver. And, uh, and, and there are several use cases where we have implemented for large enterprises to medium enterprises where uh, revenue generation becomes key. Um, and, 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 and it's a natural extension again. Now, the third uh, progression is uh, the, uh, you know, customer engagement throughout their life cycle. So that's another key element. It's, um, in my view, I think the, uh, the lines between customer acquisition and customer support and customer engagement are blurring, right? And, uh, you know, the customer doesn't care, you know, uh, whether you are from customer, customer care department or marketing department, doesn't matter. I mean, for, for, for him or her, enterprise is one entity. And, you know, he's or she is dealing with the enterprise. Um, they just want uh, one unified experience. And that uh, conversational AI can provide that, uh, you know, even if they, they just bought a product and then they, they want to sort of, uh, you know, get some support around it. And, you know, conversational AI can help them buy the product and also provide support on that product. And also along the way, figure out if the customer is happy with that product or not and throughout their life cycle and thereby increasing the NPS. So uh, all these three uh, different value drivers are very attractive for uh, enterprises today. Mm, very good. That is very good. Um, what are some of your in the over the history of of you know running senseforth and building senseforth what are some of your kind of like proudest use cases proudest client you don't have to necessarily name the client but like what are some of your like proudest implementations that you've kind of that senseforth has been involved in there are a couple i would uh, love to talk about those uh, one is of course for a you know large bank in the world um uh, they have uh, 60 million customers uh, and we have transformed their customer um, customer service customer interaction using our virtual assistant and that was a phenomenal success it handles 15 million queries per month right and that's a whopping volume um, you know I've not heard any other uh, any other virtual assistant out there handling 
that steep volume consistently and growing. And also the same thing is available on 11 different channels. There are you know, uh, incredible number of intents that are about nearly 8,000 different unique intents and also um, 200 plus uh, banking transactions uh, that the virtual assistant handles. Um, 250 plus skills that are banking skills that are available. So it's a phenomenal, um, you know, uh, sort of implementation. And, uh, you know, we were, um, you know, very, very happy about that implementation and how we successfully delivered. And the second one is uh, for Government of India. Now, uh, the Government of India has thousands of citizen services and, uh, and um, Delivering those citizen services is becoming a challenge. They built an app, a mobile app, there is a website, all that is fine. But then there are millions of people in India who, who are, uh, you know, uh, not probably able to use a mobile app or a website. Now, uh, how do you deliver citizen services? to millions of people. And, and the solution that we built is expected to serve, um, you know, 700 million plus people in India. It's a phenomenal uh, implementation. Uh, and, you know, people can just ask anything. Maybe they just want to know what is their pension, fu pension fund doing or they want to find, uh, you know, uh, nearest blood bank uh, where they can get a positive blood or um, or they you know students want to find out uh, scholarships uh, which are sponsored by the government or any kind of government services they're all coming on the conversational AI platform uh, and I, I think that's going to be a um, you know an outstanding uh, use case wow that's wicked. That's that's huge, <laughs> huge numbers. That you know, you get ten percent of them, seven hundred million people using it, and all of a sudden, you, yeah. I hope they're paying you off for that because your bills are going to shoot through the roof <laughs> when you get seven seventy million people using the platform. <laughs> um, that's really good. That's really interesting. It it makes me think about um, you know, when you get to that kind of scale, and you're talking there about you know, at the very beginning, you're talking about changing the way that you are as an individual in order to be able to grow and scale the company and learning lots of new skills and, and all that kind of stuff, changing who you are. When you begin working on implementations of that size, inevitably you need to change or the team needs to change certain things as well, whether it's technology, security, stability, whether it's team skills and, and bringing and building bigger teams with more skill sets in there and stuff like that. If you compare you know, building a, an assistant that's going to have a 700 million potential user base with somebody who is just beginning to build their first conversational AI, one conversation designer and a developer, things change quite dramatically, don't they? And so, so what are some of the kind of things that as you work on a larger deployment, some of the core things that need to be in place in order for those things to be a success? Right. You're right. Absolutely. In fact, initially, it would be a lot to do with you know, what I call handcrafting a solution. Um, and, you know, as you sort of grow and then, you know, work with large organizations with large implementations, I think you need to bring in uh, structure and processes into the into the mix. And uh, there are several different teams of people working on these uh, projects. And um, and there has to be a seamless integration uh, across the teams and um, and communication and also uh, ultimately it's all about uh, it's all about 
also standardizing some of the some of the things that we deliver for example um, there are no standards in conversational ai right and i think building those standards um, in and 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 processes uh, in creating those uh, right user what kind of a user interaction is right in what kind of a setting uh, and those things i think we need to um, sort of build uh, at an organization level uh, and uh, and train our teams in that mm. that's the need of the hour as we uh, progress from uh, a, you know a, a sort of a startup into a into a you know scale a scaling startup mm, interesting it's interesting you mentioned the the kind of there's no standards and it's it, what makes that more interesting is because although we call it a nascent industry the reality is it's actually existed for quite a long time. You know, if you go back to the 90s and you look at the work that Nuance were doing in the call center space in the 90s, the first ever toy, kid's toy, that had a voice user interface was a doll in like 1986 or something like that. So this technology has existed for a long time. The practice of building this technology has existed for a long time. Fair enough, the technology has got better and, and more capable in the last 10 years or so. But still, it's it has existed for a long time. So I'm just wondering there's still no necessarily kind of like standards around design standards around development deployment maintenance that kind of stuff do you have any thoughts on where those standards might come from if they do at all i think it has to come from uh, companies like us um what's happening and you know this, while it has existed for long uh, you know including the the famous uh, Microsoft's Clippy, uh, yeah, which was uh, which was in you know uh, Office applications, uh, which, which was ahead of its time. Uh, now I think uh, I think the things have changed dramatically. I think the enterprises today are demanding this. Uh, it is no longer a shiny toy uh, that you can put on your website. The enterprises are demanding value from this, and uh, they're making investments so that they can they can embrace this technology and serve their customers better. Now, in that scenario, um, I think it's the responsibility of startups like us, um, the players in conversational AI, to come together and define standards uh, in terms of what is the best user experience or a you know best conversational AI experience or best voice AI experience. All those standards uh, need to be built. Mm, mm, absolutely. You you alluded to this a little bit earlier on. Um, but I'm wondering whether we can get into any other areas. So you mentioned that some of the ways and where this technology may head in future, where this, not necessarily the technology itself, but the deployment of these interfaces, and you mentioned multimodal interfaces, gesture control, things like that. What other things are kind of exciting you about the future direction of this stuff? Oh, there are lots of things. In fact, um, um, the use cases where how uh, voice AI could help the elderly uh, or or uh, differently abled people, um, you know, how do you actually make their lives a little more comfortable? Um, and uh, using using voice AI uh, would be a phenomenal use case. Uh, I think you know it's worth worth building that and taking it out there. And of course, another one is the um, is the the mental health situation in the world today. You know, it's a, it's rampantly on the rise uh, with the pandemic, uh, you know, sort of uh, infusion, uh, all that. Now, I think uh, definitely the world doesn't have enough 
uh, enough doctors or consultants who can help people uh, at scale with that. I think they're, um, you know, voice AI and conversational AI coming in and um, helping people out. And, you know, in general healthcare, I think the, at least the screening and triaging uh, part of the solution can be done by uh, definitely, uh, you know, conversational AI um, using voice effectively. Uh, so there are, you know, I, I can think of a ton of uh, these use cases. Um, it could be a you know a you know a, you know a scuba diver uh, uh, you know under the water and you know you could have a voice AI helping uh, the person um, you know glide around or 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 train better, right? So they, they could be they could be phenomenal use cases. Experiential, I like that. Experiential real world use cases. That's uh, that's really good. You mentioned the metaverse earlier on. Um, and you know, I, I, I've been investigating the metaverse. I, I wouldn't claim to be an expert in any way, shape, or form. There's obviously synergies there between uh, a lot of the stuff that's happening in this industry in general with digital humans and things like that, and digital humans for for customer experience and customer service and things. Um, it seems to be obvious to me, at least, uh, that there will be digital humans in the metaverse representing brands and companies, uh, and beyond that, you know, other companies may actually emerge as digital digital humans within that space and inevitably the interaction layer will be conversational and so you mentioned there earlier on about companies considering voice considering social considering the metaverse and how all that plays together do you view the metaverse as being almost the same thing ish as this conversational user interface or do you think there's there's difference there's inevitably differences but i mean do you view it as being an extension of what you're already doing or do you view it as being an entirely new domain it's um, a great question in fact uh, i think metaverse is definitely a different beast um, the conventional conversational ai also needs to be redefined there uh, and and uh, uh, there obviously there would be no uh, there could be hybrid user interfaces there uh, but I think as I said earlier gestures become a very very critical component and gestures combined with um, conversational AI voice AI especially uh, is the need of the hour there now um, now there are different challenges. For example, uh, let's say you walk into an environment. It's the same challenge that I sort of talked about earlier, right? In our home, there's this voice voice uh, device, and it is you know it doesn't really um, cater to a multi uh, multi activity or multi people environment uh, robustly, right? Um, and because they're not built that way, they're built for one on one interaction. Now I think it's time that we need to think of voice AI differently and uh, and bring in the multi uh, multi people interaction. Uh, in fact, we were even you know sort of discussing a use case very early on, um, you know, a few years ago. What if there is a, a train station or an airport, and uh, there is a there is an inquiry counter, and uh, and if we can actually handle that with a virtual assistant or a device, how would it be, right? And and that is again, you know, extremely challenging environment. There could be multiple people asking the same question, different questions at the same time. Somebody is overlapping somebody. You know, how do you handle that, right? I think it's the same challenge in you know in metaverse too, uh, or similar. Uh, if it is just one virtual assistant, uh, you know, talking to um, let's say 20 people in an environment, uh, then it is, you know, it needs to be, it needs to be designed to handle that kind of an interaction 
you know, multi-party interaction. Or, you know, you might want to sort of spin off multiple, uh, you know, digital avatars, and then, you know, you could have a one-on-one conversation. So um, the entire interface paradigm is, is, is so fascinating there. Again, I think we have to, we have a, we have a large canvas to experiment and uh, figure out what works, what doesn't work. And there's a lot of research that needs to go into it. Um, and, um, and, and, and especially if it is, uh, uh, another thing is, uh, let's say, you know, as an extension to metaverse is, let's say, VR situation. How does conversational AI uh, or gesture, gestural plus conversational AI, um, you know, works in um, uh, AR, v, uh, uh, VR environments? Uh, I think that's also an, a big challenge. A lot of research has to go into it. Um, we have to we have to figure out use cases and uh, and uh, come up with new solutions. Mm, interesting. I never thought about. I mean, the value of conversational AI is that it is incredibly scalable. So rather than a contact center having a conversation one on one on the phone, you can scale that to have thousands of conversations at the same time. And I suppose in in a metaverse environment where you have actual representations of humans you're back to that one-to-one environment again. It won't scale unless you can find a way of every person sees a different version of the shop assistants in that shop. (laughs) And so everyone sees a slightly different thing in order to make it scale, which would be, yeah, don't know how that would work really, but it's very, I'm sure there's a lot more to it than, than, than that one challenge, but it's definitely, yeah, definitely a lot to it. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Well, Shreda, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, go to senseforth.ai to find out more about Senseforth and, and what Shreda and his team can do uh, for you. That is S-E-N-S-E-F-O-R-T-H dot A-I. If you're tuning in on the podcast, I'll put all of these links as always in the show notes. And if you haven't got your ticket to VUX World at Voice22 yet, voicesummit.ai is where you need to go. Use the promo code VUX20 to save 20%. Looking forward to seeing you there.